and welcome to the Fort Taylor Talks podcast. I'm Pat Williams, staring at my brother Fort Taylor. Ford, welcome. Hey, PW. Good to see you again this morning. Got a big smile on. Yeah, I'm, I'm a happy dude, walking in joy. You know, we've uh, covered many subjects here on the Ford Taylor Talks podcast. We're now in the midst of a time that. Now, I'm 53 years old, Ford. I've not experienced the turmoil, the commotion, the anger, and I'm really struggling personally with where it's seated. And I feel like some subjects that we're going to talk about today have been hijacked. Uh, some subjects that needed attention and peace, peaceful conversation have been hijacked, uh, which is really distorting. Um, people's view of what we've been watching on the news the last four or five weeks. Yeah, PW, and, and a lot of uh, men and women and young people who look like us, uh, they feel that way, and, and, and some of that's probably true. Uh, but I'm hoping today that maybe we can give a perspective of let's assume it is hijacked. And let's just assume that for a moment, or we can assume that it's not. But maybe we can give some perspectives on what caused the hijack. I mean, what have we done? What's our part? What What is our role? And in, in what might have gotten us to this place in our country? Now, I've not experienced it at this level, but I did experience it some in the 1970s. I'll never forget there was a day that I showed up at high school one morning and, and all the teachers and most of the students that looked like me were outside of the high school. And I said, hey guys, what's going on? And and they said, well, that pretty much all the black students, the African-American students, were inside, lined up down the hallways. And I said, and? And they were afraid to go inside. And I said, why? These are our friends. Why are you afraid to go inside? And they said, you're not afraid to go inside? I said, why would I be afraid to go inside? These are my friends that are making a statement, and they're in pain. And I walked in and started high-fiving everybody and saying good morning and letting them know I'm with you and I'm sorry what is going on and I don't have a fix. I mean, I was the president of our class, the president of our student body, but I don't, I didn't have a fix for these things in any way back then. Well, shortly after everybody else started coming in and, but yeah, there was a peaceful demonstration right there in our high school. But for some reason, everybody was afraid of our friends. And that kind of blew my mind, even the 1970s. And now I'm watching it again, but way more turned up than it was back then. So, Ford, if we were in a transformational leadership setting, if you were in front of the room and the room was experiencing what we're experiencing, I think our ability to hear and understand really revolves around anger and the effect that anger has on our ability to communicate, hear, process. Walk me through that a little bit, because I don't know how anybody can hear anybody with the anger and the tone that we're talking with each other. Right. Well, you know, we've done a, a podcast on anger, so let me review that really quickly. And so what happens, an event takes place. And from that event, we have a thought. And from that thought, we have a feeling. And from that feeling, we have an action, reaction, or behavior. Well, if that thought involves fear, frustration or pain, and that pain can be physical or emotional, it sets off something in our body called epinephrine or norepinephrine. 
Well, when that is set into our bodies, when it, when it kicks in, it does something to our brain, and it reduces the, the, um, the, the part of our brain that lets us think with, um, what's the word I want to use to be sure everybody gets it? I, I guess I'd say the rational part of our brain, and we move more to the emotional part because it gets restricted. And we say or do things that we would never do with a full brain. And so when anger kicks in, and again, fear, frustration, or pain, emotional pain, frustration, it can cause that to happen. Brain gets small, and then we start saying things that we wouldn't say with a small brain, with a large brain. So if we can keep our brains big, which means we have to change the way we think about this. And if we can change the way we think about what's going on, guess what? Our brains stay large. And, and we're going to do a series here where I'm going to bring some of my dear friends in that I've been working on this. We've been working on this together, okay? And, and a number of them are African-Americans. And so we're not doing this because it's the thing to do right now. We've been working on this issue together for some of us for 18 or 20 years. So this isn't a fad for us. And so we're going to let our audience hear from people who don't look like me. And, and I'll give you an example, PW. You know, years ago, uh, I gave a talk on this years and years and years ago. And here's the way I put it. I said, we, we have things in America that are systemic. They're growing at a growing rate. Uh, one of those was suicide. One of those was sexual abuse, uh, racism, abortion. All these things are growing at a growing rate. And, and I couldn't understand why we as leaders couldn't see that. And I, but, you know, because I have been sexually abused. Uh, I, I have had a gun in my hand. So I, to do the suicide. So I know what those things feel like, but you know, I've never had black skin. I don't know what that feels like, but the way I put it back then and continue to put it. And now I'm afraid what I was saying back then may be happening to us. And my hope is completely that I'm wrong on this, but I shared back then. I want, I want us all to imagine that we're all out in an ocean and we're on four different boats. And I love the deep sea fish. I love to fish in tanks. And I mean, I just love to fish very relaxing. And, and imagine us out in this ocean and we're in four different boats and a big storm blows in. And then all of a sudden, one of the boats starts going down. And the other three have the capacity to save the people on the other boat. But they choose to let that boat sink. And, and those people drown. And we could have thrown them a life preserver, but we chose not to because we wanted to protect ourselves. Well, what will happen, that storm continues, and you look up, and another boat starts sinking. And we could choose to save them, but we choose not to. And then what happens, another boat starts sinking. And in this big boat over here, we could choose to throw a life raft, but we choose not to. And here we are on this big boat safe. But what would happen if a storm blew in and that big boat started sinking? There would be no one left to throw the life raft. Now, we did throw some life rafts around sexual abuse. We're starting to throw some life rafts around suicide. But the biggest life raft I talked about back then was for our brothers and sisters who don't look like us. And so when, we were, when they were sharing, even back then, Black Life Matters. Now, I don't want to talk about the group Black Life Matters, okay? I don't want to go there. I want to talk about the statement. Because at that point, when that first boat's sinking, guess what? That life, it matters more than mine. I'm on the big boat. I'm safe. And I shared back then, if we don't throw the life rafts to the people that are sinking, this will come back to haunt us. 
And I believe that we're in that time right now. Why? Because we make statements. Every time that I've been around, before white people's light bulb comes on, and an African-American, a black person, makes a comment of their pain, we always respond, but, but what about? But what about? We can't even sit there and listen to the pain. We do this with our spouses, but we can't sit there and just say, wow, thanks for sharing that pain. I can't imagine. And so here we are now, uh, you know, people wanting to take down statues of Confederate officers. And so let me share with my uh, Caucasian friends. I want you to imagine the worst thing that you've ever done in your history or the worst thing that ever happened to you in your history. Now, I'm going to use an example. People that know me well know that I cheated on my wife and she forgave me. And once I understood unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness, it changed my life forever. But I want you to imagine that that's the worst part of our history together. That's it. Imagine that every morning when she walked out of our bedroom, if I had pictures in the house of the women that I cheated with, what if she walked down or drove down the street and I had statues built? I mean, and as I memorialized the worst part of our history. I wouldn't do that to her. That would not be fair. Uh, yeah, P.W., one time a friend of mine wrote a book, and he asked me to write the forward in his book. And I wrote the forward. And in the forward, it was just my story. And as you know, when you read something, you can't get the whole message. You just get the story. Well, I came home one day, and, and Sandra's told me I could share this. I came home one day, and I could see that Sandra was not happy with me. She wasn't being mean, but I could tell her countenance was just, you know, we know what women, when people's countenance change, we can see it. And I said, honey, what's wrong? And she wouldn't talk to me. We're having dinner. And I knew I'd done something. I just didn't know what it was. And, and then she finally said, you know, it's the forward in that book. And I said, help me. What did I do? And it took me a full hour to finally hear, honey, when you put that in writing, you memorialize something that you did. And when it's in writing, it's different than when you speak. Because I'd say to her in this whole hour, but when I talk about this, you're in the room. I mean, people even come up to me and say, I was watching Sandra while you were talking. I believe you now. I believe that forgiveness and that love is real. And I was, so I was justifying that I had written this forward instead of listening to her on how it made her feel. And it took her an hour to get me to hear her say, but honey, when you're talking about it, you're saying it's the worst time in our history. You're saying this was your fault that you messed up. And, and I do say that. But when it's just in the story, it's not clear that you're making that clear. And now all my friends are going to read this book, and they're all going to want to come talk to me about, oh, no, look what happened to you. And I went, oh, my. And I immediately did the six-step apology. And I told her I would never put that in writing again without her permission. You see, when I'm talking about it, people can hear the pain of the worst thing I ever did to my wife. But when I memorialize it, and see, what I'm afraid of as PW is we won't even acknowledge the pain of the worst time in our history. Because, see, that wasn't necessarily just the worst time. I ask my white friends in a TL sometimes when the subject comes up. and been doing this for a year. And I would ask right now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're Caucasian and you're not driving your car, that you might stop for just a minute and close your eyes with me. I just want you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to imagine yourself in a different country, 
and you're with your family and your friends and you're all white. And then one day, another city, another tribe of white people, they come over and they kidnap you and they put you in chains and ropes. And the next thing you know that you're, you're being put on a boat with a bunch of people that aren't your color. Let's call them black. And then all of a sudden you're on this boat and, and, you're, and, and you're getting sick and, and you know that your family's on the boat with you and you're hearing people scream and, and you're not sure, is that your spouse that's screaming? Is that your child? You know, you're hungry, you know they're hungry, you're hearing people throw up and the next thing you hear is a big splash in the water. Someone got thrown overboard, they're dead. Is that my child? And you can't understand a word they're saying because they don't speak your language. Now I want you to keep your eyes closed and I want you to go up on a shore of a land that you've never been to before. You've never even heard of it. And you're taken off this boat and you're put up on land and, and you're carried up onto a platform. And you see people doing things, but you don't know what they're doing. And the next thing you see is that a black person comes and gets you and they take and put you in a wagon. And as you're watching, you look a minute later and you see your spouse, your husband or wife go up on that platform and they do the same thing. And you're anxiously awaiting for your spouse to come be put in the wagon with you. But the next thing you see is they're putting a different wagon and then here's your daughter and the same thing happens and they're putting a different wagon and here's your son and the same thing happens and they're putting a different wagon. Now your family is separated and you don't even know what's going on. And for years you're told, now keep your eyes closed. You're told, I own you. I can treat you like a dog. As a matter of fact, the, uh, you find out later in life that the government actually legalized all of this. They actually put a tax on it and made it okay that you could even be killed if you didn't obey your master. Now I want you to hang on to that for a minute. And then this war came and you were even asked to fight in a war to keep you enslaved. And then one day this war ended. And then one day you were told the war's over, you're free. And you've got a big question, what's freedom? And you're told, here's some money. And you say, what's money? Oh, and by the way, in our country, our values are one man and one woman. Now you may have tried to live that out because that is your value, but you haven't seen that. That's not what you've experienced from the white people. And you say, when did that start? So in one moment in time, your life changed. And then for years, this continued to perpetuate. And then years later, let's say you go to church and you walk into a black church and you look up on the wall and there's those founding fathers that you've heard over and over again. These are our Christian founding fathers. Let's go back to a time when we were a more godly nation. Yet those pictures have black faces. And you're in a room and they're saying, let's go back to a time when those men hanging on that wall, legalized, taxed, it was okay to rape, it was okay to have children to make more slaves. Would you feel good about that comment? Would you, would you feel good about memorializing the people that said, this is all okay? Now these men, in so many ways, were great men. In so many ways, the foundation of our country has so much godliness in it, but in so many ways it does not. But if we can't hear that pain, but how would you feel if you kept hearing that over and over again? I think you'd have a different perspective. I think you would say, man, and you quit saying, but I wasn't there, but I didn't cause that. 
I didn't own slaves. You quit making those comments. And you'd start saying, man, I can't imagine the kind of pain that would feel like to have those stories passed down and passed down. And then to experience it still. And PW, I know people have trouble believing. because, And the reason is most of us have not gone out and made dear friends that are different than us. Or we, we know their spouses. We know their children's names. We talk about the deep, intimate parts of our lives together. And so we're going to bring some people on the show that if people want to know, to hear this from a little different perspective. But yeah, uh, the sad part is, PW, is you're right. Is that, you know, just a small percentage of people in America live way out on the extreme right end of politics. And a small percentage live out on the extreme left of politics. And, and most of us live somewhere in the middle. But yeah, I, I do believe that the media and the extreme are hijacking the rest of us. Because some of the stuff they're putting out is true. My opinion is some of it's not true because I've done my own research. But I would say if we can learn to keep our anger in check, if we can learn not to defend our position, because people are going to get to hear some stories of, from my dear friends of how I learned this because I cared enough, you ready, to stay at the table, even when it was painful, even when it hurt to hear, for do you realize that when you use that term, what it feels like to me? And my response was, I had no idea. I won't use that term anymore. Not, but I was raised in Texas, and that's the terms we use, because that's what we say. But because I didn't have the root and the understanding of what it did to my brothers and sisters, I didn't know the pain I was causing. And I would say that if we could just learn to keep our anger in check, not get offended, do the research for ourselves, get to know people who are not like us. You'll find what I've been saying is true for 20 years, that everywhere I go, the vast majority of people, no matter what their color are, their colors are, no matter what country they live in, no matter what city they live in, the vast majority of people are smart, gifted, talented in at least one area, and many of them are smart, gifted, and talented in lots of areas. And the vast majority of people have huge hearts. They truly care about the people around them. They don't know how to love. They don't know how to just stop and say, wow. You, do you know what it's like to, to go out with your friends that are different color than you? Because for years I've gone into restaurants. And so far, in a predominantly white restaurant, so far after all these years, 100% of the time, they offer to take my order first. So far, 100%. And I'll look at them and say, would you take my friend's order first? And then after they walk away, my friends will say, thank you for noticing. It's little things that we don't even notice because they're so systemic that could make a huge difference. Why? Because, PW, I love you more than I care about how you feel about me. If you ask me to quit using a term like gal or girl or boy because of what it meant, to your people all those years ago, guess what? I'm going to quit using it. I'm not going to say that was all that time ago, and that isn't what I mean. I'm not going to defend it. I'm going to say I care enough about you that I'll quit using that term. And, and, and what would happen if we did that? See, we would take these extreme movements out of play because the rest of us don't live there, and we would actually become part of the solution. And if we can become part of the solution, 
this is a very solvable problem, but it's not solvable if we take all these peaceful people that want to solve it and we interject a small percentage of non-peaceful people. And if all the media shows is the non-peaceful stuff that's going on, knowing, like in my high school, these are my friends making a statement that we're hurting. Why were people afraid to go inside? Because they were led to believe something that wasn't true. And so that's my opinion, and there's so much more. But I believe that we together can be a solution if we stop being the problem. Ford, as we address the issue over the next few episodes, we're going to have guests here. We're going to see some interaction with some people that you've spent years with. But I think we close this podcast with what this podcast is all about. It's about helping people. And the issue that you're talking about right now, this, 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 this is the most important issue that we could be talking about right now, which is why we're talking about it. Um, let's close. And let's close with Lit. Okay. Some people may have never heard our podcast, so they don't understand what we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, let's get lit means for love, influence, transform. And so I'm going to launch us with this. I was on a podcast with a black man a couple of weeks ago, and he asked me, he said, Ford, what would you do if something like what happened to this man that was killed by the policeman? What would you do if something like that happened in your city? I said, how about I respond with what I did do, not what would I do? He said, what? He said, let me, I said, let me tell you what I did do. Because in Cincinnati in 2003, we had an event like this with a young man named Nathaniel Jones. And our mayor made the comment in the paper that this man was a 400-pound weapon. And, and I went and I met with the mayor and one of our leading African-American leaders in, in Cincinnati. And I met with both of them, and I shared with them some things and asked them would they consider working together. And, and I looked at the African-American, and I said, I'm not telling you I agree with what I'm about to say. It's just a question. I said, but what if you could admit just for one minute, maybe it's not quite as bad as you think it is. I'm not telling you I agree with that. I'm just asking you, could you say it? And I looked at the mayor and I said, Mayor, what if you could admit it's worse than you say it is? And if you two guys could take one inch towards each other, just one inch, guess what might happen? We might put together a 50-year plan. I could pull leaders together, strong leaders of different colors, different spheres, business people, police department. We might put a plan together. And if we got after it, we might put a 20-year plan. And I said, if we really were good, maybe a 10-year plan. And I said, who knows? If God showed up, we might have a different city in five years. And I shared with them the story that I went to the young man's funeral. And as I viewed his body, I went over and I got on my knees in front of the mother and the grandmother. And I said to them, hey, there are a lot of people in the church in Cincinnati that have given me permission to represent them. And I'm here to tell you on behalf of white people and white Christians, I'm so sorry. We don't know what to do. Our hands are tied. I'm sorry this happened to your son. I'm sorry that we don't, that the, the people in general, we all have the same color blood, that we can't come together in a way to know how to solve these things. And they both got up and hugged me and they wept and said, thank you. I then later called them and said, how would it feel to you if we brought you and your family to a big event and and we repented to you for what happened to your son, a bunch of white leaders and black leaders together. And they said they'd like to do that. So we, we, we set that in motion, got all the permits to do it. And so now I'm sharing that with these two leaders, the mayor and African-American leader. And I asked them, would they attend? And I said, but would you think about one inch towards each other? And PW, 
They both said no. Okay. Then the mayor said he couldn't come, but then he showed up and I saw him and I went and got him and I said, would you like to say something? He said, I would. And he went up to the microphone and he turned to that family and he repented for what he said about their son. He then invited them to come to his state of the city address the next week and invited me to come too. And he did it again publicly in front of 1,100 of the leaders of leaders in Cincinnati. PW, you know what broke my heart? Not one media with all those cameras that were there, all those newspapers, all those TV stations, radio stations, not one said a word about his public repentance to the family for what happened. Not one. Now, to me, that's heartbreaking. I then met with them and said, hey, guys, I got this training that brings a lot of unity. Different cities use it, and I have a gift for you. I said, I'll train every policeman in transformational leadership, and we'll bring leaders from every community together, and we'll roll out a plan to train them so they can see why they're either racist, consciously biased, or unconsciously biased. And we'll get people to understand that. We'll stay at the table, and we'll get this fixed. And they turned down that offer. That was about a 2 to $3 million gift. So I told this guy on the podcast, I don't want to tell you what I would do. I'm going to tell you what I did do. But I got told no every step of the way. My prayer is now that door gets reopened, that maybe now something like that could happen. So it's time to get lit. It's time for us to love in ways that we've never imagined. I care more about you than I care about how you feel about me. I probably made some people angry today with some of my little stories. I'm asking you when your anger calms down, just consider what if what I said was true. And from that position, let's grow our influence. Those people that are smart, gifted, or talented with huge hearts, let's let that love lead the influence. Influence up to our leaders, across with our peers, down with our employees. Influence with ourselves. And that, a group of those kinds of leaders come together, just maybe we could transform individuals, organizations, and cities. And who knows, maybe one day, even our nation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ford Taylor Talks. For more information and resources to help you love, influence, and transform, please visit FordTaylorTalks.com. Mm-hmm.